We are back, baby. We are back. That's we right. are back. You are looking live. We get after it. You know, we jabber jaw, we go tit for tat, we have our little differences. Let's get funky like a monkey. And here we go. And welcome to the Moose and Runes podcast. This is episode one thirty six of the pod. Matt, I sense a uh, a bit of despair in your voice in, in our pre show, and I only say this because I know that with the finite nature of football uh, now a, a grave reality, mm-hmm. th- this is usually around the time of year that we get sad, Matt. And, yeah, and I can't and I can't do sad, Matt, for an hour here. I need I need something out of you. I need I need you to realize that on tap this weekend is. Quite, quite possibly the finest weekend of football that we get every season. I love the divisional round. Uh, I love the fact that the best are at play. I love the fact you get four of maybe the best football games you're going to see. That's yet to be seen. Uh, but if Wild Card Weekend is any indication of the types of games we're about to see, it's going to be another entertaining weekend. So give me give me some positivity off the top here, Matt. Well, it, it, it is going to be great. And you're right. This is arguably the best weekend of pro football that we have probably throughout the year. Because and if you, have, in, if you lump in Monday, too, if you lump in Saturday through Monday with the, with the National Championship. We do Championship, have the college football National Championship, all that. But come I on guess, now. Well, I'm a little bit sad because last night we had Louisiana, Miami, Ohio in the Lending Tree Bowl. And after that, <laughs> we're now done with, we're down, done with pretty much crappy bowl season. And I miss that. I miss... You know, being about an hour and away, an hour away from a kickoff of a random bowl in Mobile, Alabama, I miss having yep. that option on TV. And you know, yeah, you got me, you caught me, Joe. I'm, I'm starting to. It's becoming a stark reality for me that football is winding down here. And even though this is the this is the last really great weekend we have, I'm looking forward to it. I can't help but kind of start to look beyond that and think, like, what what do I have going for me now? Well, if you What's look beyond, we've got that. the XFL coming. So I was going to say. That. You gotta you gotta strap on your helmet and get ready for some XFL action. And if you're not bought in, that's 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 no one's fault but your own. Oh, I'll be ready for it. Don't you? I, the, the XFL opener will be on my TV. I can guarantee it. <laughs> it may, might not be TV one, but will be on one of the TVs. Uh, I, I can I can guarantee that it'll be on the TV as well. But that might be the first and last watch. It's we'll possible, see how the but it's worth a shot. Looks. We'll see how gimmicky it looks. We'll get to that uh, later on in the show. But we got. We got to lead off with uh, with the topic du jour today, and that is um, NFL football. That's the topic of the day. Yep. Yeah. For 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 those who don't Don't speak French. Yeah. Uh, So we're going to dig into last week's games, give a little bit of recap, look forward to this weekend's games, uh, give you some picks, give you some locks. We're going to talk college football national title game preview, what our leans are there. then we're going to do a little buy or sell. We're going to get on, get on our way here, Matt, all right? But I, I, I need the energy from you. We're, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be fine. Huh? Do I, I huh? always dig deep and figure it out. Don't worry. Beautiful. I'll be there. Beautiful. Well, let's talk Wild Card Weekend. Lead off with the early game, Buffalo at Houston. Just in totality, these games were ugly. Um, there wasn't a ton of clean, really good football on field. There wasn't a lot of great coaching. There wasn't a lot of great um, moments, not that we get great moments from referees, but there was a lot of uh, gray area um, inhabited by the referees as well. And it all started uh, with Buffalo and Houston. You get a odd situation at the beginning of the second half that uh, uh, listener of the podcast, Rob Gallick, uh, decided I, to I stand was, on his sermon. Um, about I was his, loving your Twitter back and forth. It was hysterical it was just, to me. I mean, he, he did signal for the kickoff, but these are just – these are just referees opening themselves up to criticism because mm-hmm. because he's going to try and I, I don't know what the ref's thought process there is. It, 
not knowing the rule, not knowing, not paying attention, not having his eyes on the right thing. But that was the first instance of, okay, here we are in wildcard weekend and, and we're not on our game once again as referees. But let's talk about the actual game. Sure. The Texans end up going on to win 22 to 19 uh, over the Buffalo Bills. And um, they advance giving Deshaun Watson his first uh, playoff win of his career. He, he was fantastic um, in, in many in many ways. Josh Allen was great in his own right. I love the inspired play calling right off the bat with a mm-hmm. little reverse pass to Josh Allen. So um, Deshaun, I, I think, showed that you know when we're when we're dying for that playoff moment out of a quarterback, he finally had one in escaping that. Uh, that two on O sack rolling out mm-hmm. and setting up his team for the game winning field goal. Yeah, it was kind of th- that that first half. You're kind of starting to think like, is he not? Is his playoff Deshaun different from regular season Deshaun? Because he was pretty bad again. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, last year I think it was they only put up seven points at home against the Colts in the wild card game. I believe it was something like that. So it was, it was one of those games where we've talked about on here. He has those moments, those games where he's electric and unstoppable. And then he has those moments. A lot of the times when Will Fuller's not in the game to stretch the field for him, where he tends to disappear. That first mm-hmm. half kind of looked like it was going to be that way, even though, I mean, he was 20, 25, so he's somewhat efficient with his completions. He, he wasn't really doing much moving the ball. And then, like you said, the second half, there were three or four Deshaun Watson type moments that, that kind of seemed to signal his arrival in the playoffs as, as you know, a top tier quarterback. If, if you weren't on, on board with that yet, um, waiting for those last kind of kind of final playoff moments. Like you said, that rollout where he avoided the sack, picked up the first down, was, was just about it for me. And it looked like it was going to be more of the same. It looked like it was going to be that um, flop from Deshaun and from the Texans as a mm-hmm. down. I believe it was 17 nothing before scoring. 16. 16-0, ni- yep. then scoring 19 unanswered before Stephen Housh could tie it up with the 47-yard field goal with five seconds left in, over, er, in regulation to force overtime. Um, but, but we really jumped off the screen at me too. And say what you want about the guy. I know we've, um, kind of been on both sides of the JJ Watt story. Mm -hmm. We love to give him a hard time. We love to praise him for his ability, but it wasn't just an emotional push that he gave his team on Saturday. He was physically dominating, even with a compromised left side. Like he, he didn't have the, if you were, I was watching just JJ for a good amount of time because I wanted to see how effective Mm -hmm. he was. He was still getting thrown double teams. He was still getting through. He was still pressuring the quarterback. He still maintained gap integrity. He didn't have the push-pull game that he usually runs. You know, when he just gets Which his is, hands yeah, on guys. That's understandable from You're not going to have yeah. that with, with a peck that's not 100%. But he still found ways to be dominant. He was great swimming guys. He was great bull rushing guys. Like, he's just, for, for, as, for as much as he likes to go Johnny Bravo and kind of become this cartoonish character – He's equally as effective on the field, and I don't think that all of the different storylines around him, whether it's injury or what we think of him off-field, can take away from what this guy was, is, and will be to the NFL. Yeah, and like you said the, the push-pull game wasn't really there for him. That's what the great ones are able to do when one of their go-to moves, whatever, is taken away. They mm-hmm. can just they, they can beat you in several other different ways, and that's what separates the good and the great ones. A lot of the good you know, defensive linemen, receivers, whatever, have their go-to move, and if you take that away, their go-to strategy, you take that away, they're going to be ineffective. He has so many different types of moves in his repertoire, um, and, and he wouldn't have been back if he didn't know that he would have been, you know, had a chance to – he was never going to be 100%, never going to be – full-blown defensive player of the year, J.J. Watt, but he wouldn't have been back if he didn't know that he could be his, at, at times, dominant self and be a plus in that Texans defense. And I'm sure the conditioning wasn't quite there for him, 
Um, he saw that with a, not a totally limited snap count, but he wasn't in, <clears throat> wasn't in all the time like mm-hmm. he usually is. But when he was in, he picked his spots, and he was very much effective and, and worth coming back for sure. This was my lock of the week. I got it at two and a half. Never a doubt. Yeah, you're right. Ne- never doubted that one. Coming through on the final play of overtime. Uh, someone would have uh, someone would have Bill's money line bet. That was a, that was a tough one for me to stomach. Sorry about it. That was, that was that was, that was the in vogue. That was the in vogue pick of football guys. So you deserve to lose. Um, but I was uh, pre- they were sick. I had a sixteen nothing halftime lead. <laughs> Houston uh, goes on to win this one. They will face off with Kansas City. We'll get to that matchup in just a bit. But uh, next up on Saturday in the AFC offering, it was Tennessee and New England. This one was um, this one had all the notes I think that we expected. Um, if you were expecting the New England Patriots team that we saw all regular season. I I really didn't think nothing that this offense did over the second half of the season showed me that this was going to be a team that had the ability to flip the switch come playoff time. And they didn't. They scored 13 points. They were ineffective in many ways. You know, there was, um, there was kind of the, the teacher and the student moment between Vrabel running off all that clock in the fourth quarter, which was so Belichickian of Mm -hmm. him and you, Belichick was unhappy with it, but there's a taste of your own medicine guy. Yeah. Um, and it really it boiled down to the fact that Derrick Henry is a Mack truck and no one wants to tackle him 34 times a game. And if you do, you're going to have attrition come in, in at some point in the third, fourth quarter. Derrick Henry, 34 carries for 182 yards and a touchdown. I think that's going to be the game plan again this week. But how long will that last? How long can they continue to do that? Ryan Tannehill is going to have to show up a little bit better this week. Uh, then eight for 15 for 72 yards with a touchdown and a pick. You can get away with beating a mediocre Patriots team doing that, but can you get away uh, with beating a top overall seed um, in the uh, in the Ravens that way? I don't think so, but yeah. we will see. You're going to need, obviously, a better effort from Tannehill, but if you get that effort from Henry combined with a better effort from Tannehill, you're going to have mm-hmm. a shot because the Ravens, the way the Titans play defense, they, they play pretty well. Um, the Ravens are also going to be in ball control mode. It doesn't seem like a game that's going to be, you know, a ton of scoring off the charts. And if you can have Derrick Henry possess the ball, have Ryan Tannehill take care of it, the way to beat the Ravens is to hang on to the football as long as you can and keep yeah. it out of Lamar Jackson's hands as long as you can. And I think Tennessee has as good of a chance at doing that as anybody because Ryan Tannehill last night was our sorry, not last night, Saturday night was not his best, but he's been pretty efficient since he became the starter of the Titans. It seems like a group that can kind of have a chance to hold on to the ball. I'm not going to pick them or anything, or anything like that, but they, mm-hmm. they, they might be a team that has the chance to play that ball control moment. You said it with the Patriots. You you expected to see kind of regular season New England, and that's what we got. I wasn't really totally certain what to see. I mean, that Dolphins loss was was very much out of category and probably should have been a, a sign that, that was this was probably coming, but it's still just – very surprising to me. I was surprised to see them come out and, for lack of a better word, lay an egg um, at home in the playoffs. It was weird to see them wild card weekend in general, but to lay an egg at home in the playoffs is very still surprising to me, even though the signs and the writing was all on the wall for them. Yeah, and you know, we we a lot of we have many times on this podcast and even just in our daily happenings talking about the NFL, we talk about the structure of teams and how you have a team like. The Cleveland Browns, who built it from the outside in, signing these crazy wide receivers to big contracts, um, and it's not going to work because you don't have the integrity inside. Mm -hmm. The New England Patriots are a case study on the complete opposite side of that spectrum. 
I hate to be the go get Tom help guy. And first of all, you got to bring Tom back because he's a free agent at this yeah. point. And I think that they'll come to I still think some they will. sort of I don't think he's going one anywhere. year deal with a second year option. I don't think he's going anywhere either because if he leaves, then OC leaves, then Belichick has to think about his future with the team. It could all, it's, it's the, it's the domino that will set the other dominoes mm-hmm. into motion. And I don't think that as a franchise that New England's prepared to do that, that Robert Kraft's prepared to do that, allow that to happen. So I'm not sure Tom Brady, would do that to Robert Kraft. Either. No, I don't think so. And I think that Brady does come back next season, maybe one more beyond that. We'll see. I just don't think that we just saw Tom Brady play his last snaps of football. But my point was, you got to go get Tom some help. If your leading receivers in wildcard weekend are James White, two of the three receding, leading Rex receivers Burkhead, are running backs. I mean, Nikhil Harry, he has... I guess, potential, two receptions for 21 yards in the playoffs. Mohamed Sanu, it was a great pickup, didn't pan out. Julian Edelman, you got a bunch of guys who, I'm not saying you have to go out and get a Julio Jones, not that he's available, but not that you have to go get a top five receiver, but you do need to go get Tom a target. I know they tried with Antonio Brown and that didn't work out, but when that didn't work out, you have to have a contingency plan. You have to go get someone else. Tom is... I'm not saying he's at the point where we saw Peyton in his final years where he couldn't throw the ball. Like we saw Tom push the ball down the field Mm -hmm. a few times. We saw him step up in the pocket. He's still very effective. Doesn't have all the tools that he used to have, but you have to go get him a safety net. He does not have a safety net. And if you don't have a safety net, let's say a la, I don't know, Tennessee, A.J. Brown's growing to be a fantastic receiver. He was held to one reception for four yards in this game, but... Tennessee's the makeup that I'm talking about where if you have a feature back, you're okay if you don't have the feature wide receiver. But you kind of need one or the other. Now, no disrespect to Julian Edelman, but Julian Edelman is most effective when he either has a number 1A and he's the 1B mm-hmm. or when he has a number 1 and he's the number 2. He yeah. didn't have that. A lot was expected of a, it's hard, for a slot, it's hard for a season. slot guy to be your top target, your number 1 go-to guy. Yeah, I mean, it worked when it was him and Amendola and maybe a couple of nobodies on the outside because they were both so effective mm-hmm. in the slot, but he didn't even have that this season. Well, even so, then, they still guess, had Gronk. I guess my point is here that this team was not built to go any further than they did. Yeah, uh, it's people have been you know giving Brady and you know, a hard time this year, saying you know people in the past have always said he's so good at making people better, and you know it's never been a problem that he hasn't had much talent around him. One, he's had better talent than this because, like you said, while he might have only had you know a Randy Moss type for one year, he's always had Edelman, but also Adam uh, Amendola. He had Chris Hogan, who was a pretty you know solid NFL receiver. He's always had multiple tight ends he can throw to. This year, he doesn't really have a tight end he can throw to. I love Sony Michelle. Yeah. I think he's a good running back. He's not a feature running back. He doesn't have a feature running back. I mean, James White is a great receiving back, but again, not a feature running back. You, His top target's if, Julian Edelman. Uh, and if you don't have if you don't have that collection of targets where you say yeah. a name like Chris Hogan, all great and well, he was a lacrosse player in college, but he was a collection. He was part of a collection. Mm-hmm. It was Hogan, Amendola, Edelman, and Gronkowski. Like those are targets. You can you can you can employ concepts with those four mm-hmm. guys. You can't really employ that many concepts with the makeup that they had this season. Yeah. And I guess if Edelman's your number one and kind of your only go-to guy, it's it's pretty easy to game plan that person out of a ball game. It's easier to focus on them and just make everyone else beat you. And this year, you know, Tom's forty-two; he's not thirty-two anymore, so it's hard for him to make something out of nothing anymore. And the talent around him wasn't really capable of, like you said, winning them ball games. So for the first time in a decade, Tom Brady and the Patriots will sit and watch divisional round and the AFC championship round. They've been in the AFC championship for 10 straight seasons. Like, That's just on. wild. 
So this is going to be um, maybe this is the LeBron uh, miss the playoffs situation for Tom, where he comes back rested next year. I don't think that's the case, but if, just let, let me leave here. I mean, it weep. could be, but we'll, we'll, I'm just I guess <laughs> we'll, we'll more see what happens. Uh, it, it more is more importantly, we have to see what they do in the offseason to address yes. the weapons around them and. Their solution to getting help around Tom shouldn't be we're going to hope Josh Gordon is healthy and not you know screwing up for an entire season because that's never happened. Yeah, uh, Sunday's matchup started off with another wild one between Minnesota and the New Orleans Saints. Minnesota goes on to win twenty six to twenty on the last play of the game. Kyle Rudolph catching a fade route. Um, could there have been a push off there? Was there an extension of an arm? Again, oh, there was. Here, here we operate in the gray area, but. You know, I don't fault the ref there in not wanting to have the blood on his hands, not wanting it to. No, but they got to take a look at that. Yes, but it's it's not reviewable. All scoring plays, all scoring plays are reviewed for the catch. They are not reviewed for pass interference. So in that well, then moment, that's stupid. So in that moment, I guess the, um, I, I guess the right thing to do is err on the side of flag. Yeah. That yeah, but. But even if if you throw yeah, I know the flag you're, there, if you throw the flag there, it's still not reversible because a coach that, can't challenge it. There's but, no, but the booth there's can no review booth that. Re- can they the can't? booth review? I don't. I, think, I don't so. think there's a booth review on flag. Well, either way, then that's part of a rule they didn't quite think through, and they're dumb for not thinking through because that is something that should be able to be looked at. I'm not just in that point, but if you can't challenge pass interference, a scoring play or any play under two minutes should be able to be challenged it for that. To I would have reviewed, to think yeah. that has to be reviewed because I'm not saying this because I wanted to see the saints win. I'm saying this because every single time I've ever been, you know, seen an offensive pass interference flag call that say, you're not allowed to extend the arm. I love mm-hmm. Kyle Rudolph. He was one. I, I loved him at Notre Dame. He's a Notre Dame guy. I don't want to trash the guy, but he clearly extends the right arm. I whatever, yeah. the right arm and you know, it's, it's full extension pushes off gets extension, comes in with the ball. It's, I mean, it's offensive pass interference. And flat out, it's the, it's the most basic goal line concept there is. They were three by one. They ran a fade on the, on the near side. They ran a slant, slant out, pick play on the wide side. Kirk Cousins makes his pre-snap read, likes his matchup on mm-hmm. the one side, throws the fade. You have to be prepared for that. You have to be in. I don't care what the mismatch is. You have to be under Kyle Rudolph's nose. Mm-hmm. Take the pass interference, move it half the distance of the goal. It's the same situation it was as it was the play before. I, I didn't love the coverage there, I guess, is my point. But prior to that play, a lot of football was played. And it was I a think weird the, game. It was a really weird game. I think the big takeaway here is the fact that Kirk Cousins, much like that of Deshaun Watson, has his moment. He, I, I don't know if it dispels all the question marks around Kirk Cousins, but he does come up clutch in a big moment on the road in the biggest stage that he's ever found himself in. And, um, you know, it hits Adam Thielen on a beautiful deep ball to set up that play to Rudolph and, you know, win this one in overtime. I think my bigger takeaway was obviously Cousins stepped up when he needed to, and that's something... And we've really never seen him do that in his career. But Drew Brees, to me, and I, I don't want to turn this into knock Drew Brees, talk about, like, we just talked about Tom Brady not looking quite like his younger self, but he really has no talent around him. And when he's had that talent, even earlier this year, he was really, really yeah. good. Drew Brees has as much talent around him in the world, man. And they, I don't know if it's the thumb that just hasn't been right all year, but something with him just kind of hasn't been right all year. And this is really the first time I can remember watching him and be like, man, that guy looks kind of old. Like you, yeah. you talked about Peyton Manning a little bit at the end of his career and kind of relying on his defense, and I'm not going to go that far because Drew Brees isn't 
quite that. I don't want to say enough, but he he didn't look as old as Peyton Manning did that, in that stretch run. Like he just he can't really step into those throws anymore. He can't put that much zip on it. He can still drop it wherever he wants to for the most part, but it takes a long time to get there. And he just I mean you, you see his twenty six to thirty three and old Drew Brees who was twenty six to thirty three would have thrown for about three fifty. He only you know, finished with two hundred eight yards. He just looks kind of old to me, and it's good. I don't know how much time he has left, but that was. It seems like he's getting closer, closer and closer to the end. Yeah, no doubt. And obviously, I mean, he's forty, so of course he's getting closer to the end. But that was that was the first time I remember watching. Like, man, he doesn't really look right. You can be as critical as you want about Drew Brees. I'm going to be critical about Sean Payton because that's fair too. I, I don't know if you thought that, or if you felt like, hey, it's the playoffs. We're going to be the Saints and throw it all around the park or if you underestimated the Vikings as a football team. But Alvin Kamara needs more than 21 yards. I don't care how many times you got to hand it to him. Mm-hmm. Alvin Kamara needs to control this ball game. Alvin Kamara needs to get the ball in his hands more than he did. Alvin Kamara had seven carries for 21 yards. That's not committing to a running back. It's not committing to a all-pro running back at that. I don't know if he's ever won an all-pro, but that's not committing to a top-tier running back. I mean, Taysom Hill had four carries. I mean, I, I know that, I know they moved Taysom Hill around and that he does everything, but Alvin Kamara had four, for seven carries for 21 yards. And it's not like they targeted him in the passing game either. He had two catches for 25 yards. That is an utter lack of trying to get your second best weapon behind Michael Thomas the ball. When you look at Michael Thomas, he did get targeted. Seven receptions, 70 yards, didn't get in the end zone, but... You know, you can only ask for so much. Um, you read, you read the stat line there. Kamara was eight for thirty-four, by the way. Eight receptions, Kamara, thirty-four yards. Kamara was. Oh, he was. He was, was right out okay. of the two for twenty-five. Okay, so so they did target him a little bit in the. But passing, still, getting but him still, the ball in the passing him, game is not the same the as committing ball. to the run. And I mean, you look at the other side of the box score here that I'm looking at. Dalvin Cook's average was he averaged three point four yards a carry, but they gave him the ball twenty eight times. He still busted out for a couple long runs. He had ninety four yards, and because of that, you're able to control the ball a little bit longer, run a little bit more clock, and you're just giving your playmakers more chance to make play, more chance to make plays. Dalvin Cook touched the ball thirty one times. Alvin Kamara touched it fifteen. And if you look at the weapons on either side, the Vikings aren't necessarily short of weapons with with Diggs and Thielen but they still committed to a running game because they knew that's kind of what wins you games in the playoffs is controlling the ball and giving your you know, running backs, your stars, chances to make plays. And don't get, you, you talked about I like Taysom Hill a lot. Sean Payton seemed to fall a little bit in love with Taysom, Taysom Hill and try and get a little creative with him sometimes when that might not be always the, the best move for you. However you want to break it down, for the third straight season, the Saints lose in heartbreaking fashion. Overtime, don't touch the ball this year. Last year, the no pass interference. It was two years ago or three years ago. That was last year. Three years ago was the Minneapolis Miracle. Oh, right, right. That's how they went home. So three straight years of the ultimate heartbreak with teams that, as a Saints fan, you could probably only believe were Super Bowl contenders. So Mm -hmm. um, T's and P's to to Houdat Nation. But uh, they, like everyone else except uh, the eight remaining teams, will watch from the wings this weekend and beyond. Yeah, I mean, you're going to hear probably a lot of Saints fans complain that they got screwed over again by the officiating, but there's so it, it, there's so many things that led up to that mm-hmm. um, that you, you can't leave things up to chance. So like you know, the Ohio State you know fans bitching about that you know fumble recovery that got overturned and Clemson kept the ball that that cost them the game or hurt them, but there were so many chances to bury Clemson early. There's chances you have to take advantage of early. The Saints didn't do that and they tried to leave it to chance late. And hats off to the Vikings; they made more plays. 
Seattle and Philadelphia in an ugly one, 17 to 9. Uh, just hope you have the under, I guess, is, is the story here. Not a ton of inspiring football. Um, I was inspired by Josh McCown. Josh McCown kind of punctuating his career with a close loss. I don't, I don't know if there's anything um, more apropos. It's pretty, but the guy, pretty fitting for Josh McCown. The, the guy deserves um, all of the praise. The guy deserves all of his thanks. He's played for, I believe, nine different franchises over seven different year, over seventeen different seasons. Bear um, for life. And, and you hear nothing but great things about him. So for him to finally get a some playoff tick. Mm-hmm. Was was fantastic to see, but unfortunate that he can't come out with it. These were the two worst teams playing this weekend. These are the two. These are two teams that I don't think anyone should be afraid of. And I and I hate to spoiler alert here, fade your pick big time. But okay. Seattle Seattle barely snuck by the walking wounded in the Philadelphia Eagles. They barely got by Josh McCown and zero targets on the out. Like everyone was injured on the Eagles. Not to give the Eagles credit where credit is undue, but. They had no chance coming into this one. The only reason this was a close game because Seattle was almost as bad. Um, Carson Wentz is the big question here. He goes down with a concussion on what looked like when you slow it down a dirty hit by Jadavian Clowney. I don't think he was targeting the header. Yeah, I, think I didn't he, like. I think he was. You saw I think any, he was pursuing. I think he was pursuing a play from behind. You saw it's any hit that it happened. It's unfortunate that it happened the way that it did, but that looked like relentless pursuit from a defensive end trying to you know, catch a play from behind. You slow any hit down like that or any hit to the head down, it's going to look kind of dirty. But you watch it. Like, I didn't – it looked like he said he was pursuing the play from behind. He honestly kind of lowered the shoulder. It looked like he was going kind of for that upper back, almost the nameplate, just to Mm -hmm. make sure he got down and kind of overshot it and hit the head. Um, I didn't – I wasn't, uh, you know, outraged by that hit at all whatsoever. I wasn't, you know, when I first saw it, thinking this is such a dirty play. It just looked like kind of a fluke that he was trying to be, you know – efficient and you know chase down his play and make sure he got the play made um and unfortunately happened to hit Carson Wentz in the head and the head happened to bounce off the turf I'm gonna give you my two biggest takeaways here one on each side my biggest takeaway on the Seattle side was that uh scouts missed on DK Metcalf seven receptions for 160 yards did anything he wanted to um and, and people were questioning his his ability to high point balls uh, eight months ago. So good on you, uh, everyone who undervalued DK Metcalf, who set a rookie playoff record with 160 receiving yards, a touchdown, and the seal, the deal, deep ball that uh, essentially ended this one. And then on the Philadelphia side, um, my biggest takeaway here is that whoever was with Carson Wentz in the tunnel needed to say, no, you cannot go back out there. And, and not on the field, I'm saying, no, you cannot go back out and sit on the sidelines. Because as much as I hate to admit it, Philadelphia and Chicago have a lot of similarities mm-hmm. in the way that their fans approach these things. This is a Cutler situation now of could he have gone? Why are you on the sideline with your teammates? I've had concussions. This is, I'm, I'm quoting now, I've had concussions. He, he wouldn't have been out there. He wouldn't have been able to take the lights and the noise if he had a, a seriously bad concussion. Whoever was with him, whatever neurologist was with him underneath needed to say, take your shoulder pads off. You're watching the rest of this football game in here. Because now, when we know you're not playing, you can't go out there because you're opening yourselves up to a million Criticism. questions, a million different criticisms. You need to be able to control the narrative. And I know... I know Carson Wentz isn't thinking clearly in this moment because his brain's rattled. Yes. But you need someone around you to say, Carson, let's watch it from inside. I know you want to be with your guys, but 
You're going to open yourself up to a lot of questions on whether or not he could have been on that field. If he could be on that sideline, why couldn't he be on that field? You're going to get all of those storylines, all of the, is Carson Wentz tough? Is he the guy? Is he injury prone? You open yourself up to so much more having gone out there and sat on the sidelines. I respect the decision to be with your guys and be by their side, but he now has to go through an offseason of answering questions he wouldn't have if he just stayed underneath and they claimed that he was throwing up and couldn't stand up. Mm-hmm. That's, all they, that's all that needed to happen. Uh, I guess my takeaway, that uh, other than the two you kind of brought up here, I was going to mention DK Metcalf, but you did. He was absolutely fantastic and made you know, the big catches when they really needed him to. It's still hard for me with this Seattle team. Like you said that there's so many holes that they looked inept at times here, but they still have Russell Wilson, and I still think, for my money, if there's one quarterback left uh, that I want, you know, running my team in a playoff game in a big spot when I need to win, I still think it's him because I, he can beat you in so many ways. He's so incredibly smart. I mean, he's, he's their leading rusher is on top of throwing for 325 yards. So he, the fact that he was their leading rusher is probably a, a problem going into Green Bay where you're going to need to be able to control the ball. Marshawn Lynch only getting six touches, not really doing much, and I've never heard of Travis Homer. Um, but as long as Russell Wilson is on that team, is on that sideline, I like my chances at them, you know, covering a four-point spread. All right. Um, so that's my lock of the week pick. I'm taking Russell Wilson and the Seahawks <laughs> plus four at Green Bay. Well, there it is. Uh, let's do a little look ahead to the divisional round. Um, Saturday, things lead off with Minnesota traveling to the 49ers. The 49ers currently going off, I believe, as six-and-a-half-point favorites. That's what I got um, It's moved to seven some places, but a uh, full touchdown seems like a lot. Matt, um, San Francisco's path seemed to have gotten a lot easier with the exit of the Saints here. Uh, they are going to likely have to deal with either a Green Bay, not likely, but if they win, they'll have to deal with a Green Bay or a Seattle team coming to San Francisco. Uh, either one of those narratives is a tough one, having to beat Seattle for a third or for a second time out of three meetings this season, a place where they lost them already earlier on Monday night, or Aaron Rodgers coming in off a win with all the momentum in the world. they got to get past Minnesota first. I think they do because they're just the better team. Mm-hmm. San Francisco's getting back a lot of defensive firepower in D4. They're expected to have Quan Alexander come back in a certain capacity off of his torn pectoral, and they're expected to have um, uh, Jaquaski Tart back in their secondary. So, uh, you know, they were kind of holding water and, and, and effective, not as dominant the second half of the season. It's because three of their best defenders were down. Um, I think we might see a angry and inspired defense out of San Francisco that doesn't allow much uh, to Minnesota. Joe is, as you can tell guys, he's, he's in New York, but he's still got those Bay area ties. And that, that, that's the it. knowledge that you love to hear. You love to see. He's still got all those Twitter follows. He's still keeping up with it. That's why you're the best in the business. Um, I don't know what to expect out of San Francisco here because as good as they are, and like you said, they're, they're expected to be back healthy, probably playing with a little bit of a chip on their shoulder. As much talent as they have there, there's not a lot of proven playoff you know, guys on that roster, they're playing a, a big game at home for a first time, and you don't know how guys are going to live up to that. Whereas Minnesota, with the exception of Kirk Cousins, is a team that's now been here, what, three out of the last four years. They've won big games on the road. They, they kind of know how to play in this environment. I don't think they're going to win the game, but I do think that they can cover that six and a half. I think it's going to be a closer game than, than you might think. Just because a lot of points in the playoffs. It's six and a half is a lot of points in the playoffs, and if Minnesota plays the way they did against the Saints, this is going to be a very close football game, and they're probably going to have a chance to win it. I still think the 49ers are the better team, 
but you just don't know how granted they have a coach who's been there who went to a Super Bowl with with uh, Atlanta so he knows how to coach in the playoffs all that kind of stuff but they're an inexperienced team a young team that while look very promising for the future it's always tough to bank on them showing up and putting up their their best a game performance in their first ever playoff game especially honestly at home sometimes there's a little bit more pressure sometimes you're feeling a little bit more you're squeezing a little bit more because you're a little bit too juiced up um i I think they are the best built team remaining when we talk about running the football controlling the clock baltimore is going to be a problem but i think that from a scheme standpoint while it's hard to stop that option game there are so many wrinkles and you give Kyle Shanahan an extra week and you you know give him the moment that he's been waiting for as a head coach i think you're going to see a lot of ingenuity in both the run and the pass game out of San Francisco over the next few weeks and it's going to be tough to stop so we'll see uh Tennessee traveling to Baltimore on CBS in the late game um nice on plug Saturday yeah you got to do company it company man on, on Saturday, uh, I, I just don't – again, I, I don't think Tennessee has enough to stop Baltimore. I think that it's going to be a scary, dominant effort from the Ravens, from Lamar Jackson. They get everyone healthy. Lamar gets the rest he needs. Um, will he have to kick some rust off? Yes, but I don't think that's going to be a problem. He hasn't played in 21 days. Sunday will be his – or Saturday will be 21 days since his last in-game snap. That's wild. Um, you get uh, – you get uh, Mark Ingram back, uh, ho- hopefully close to 100%. I know he was dinged up with that shin injury, but they're just going to be too much to handle for Tennessee, I think. I think in the end they will nine, be. Nine-point favorites, excuse me, nine-point favorites. I love how well-coached Tennessee is, and I just it seems like at a lot of different turns and corners this year, Tennessee's been a team that's been doubted, and they usually use the, it seem to be a team that uses that and, and seems to prove people wrong a lot. I think... Like I was talking about earlier, with how good Derrick Henry's been, with how efficient Tannehill's been throughout the year, I think they're going to be able to hang on to the football for a while and maybe in the first half keep this one close. I do think eventually, though, Baltimore just kind of wears them down because of how fresh they are, like you were talking about. And I do think Lamar's going to have a big game. But I think Tennessee's ability to run the football with Derrick Henry is at least going to let them kind of keep it close early and hold on to the ball uh, kind of as long as they can without having to give that back to Lamar. I agree, but my rebuttal to that would be is regardless of what the Ravens have done offensively, much like Chicago, that city identifies with defense. Oh, yeah. And that defense is going to come out juiced. Um, It's a talented defense, and they're going to come out juiced on their home field in the divisional round. I think that Derrick Henry gets a much tougher uh, uh, task than he did against against the Patriots. That was a pretty – I mean, as bad as good the Patriots, Patriots offense, defense. that's, not gonna, that's not pretty darn good yeah. Patriots Can't defense. They went out red for you know so many yards against pretty def- decent offensive line for Tennessee. I'm not disagreeing with you that defense is going to come out inspired. I just I think Tennessee's got a pretty solid run game and they'll be able to do it for a little while. Again, I I'm not going to take either side on that. Nine and a half points is a lot, but Baltimore is so explosive and like you said, if they came out and blew the doors off them just because. You know, Lamar's ready to play. That defense is juiced up. Wouldn't shock me, but just my gut feeling tells me, at least for a little while, Tennessee keeps it close. Houston and Kansas City lead us off on Sunday. Matt, I don't want, I'm not going to break this one down because I think Kansas City wins, and I think they win handedly. Same. I think that Kansas City and Green Bay are the two teams that no one's really talking about right now because there's nothing really to talk about. And I think that's a good thing. 
I think that makes Green Bay really dangerous, and I think that makes Kansas City even more dangerous. I think Kansas City ends up winning the Super Bowl this season. I think that this is the year that Andy Reid exercises his demons. I think this cements Patrick Mahomes as the greatest quarterback of this new generation. I think that all of those things happen simply because the public is not talking about them right now. And oftentimes, if you want to know what's happening, fade the public, fade the storylines. I think Kansas City is a, a sleeping giant right now, and the only one sleeping is everyone else. They're not sleeping. Yeah, uh, I I think you're dead on with that. And I, we talked about it a little bit. I don't remember if it was on the pot or before, but Andy Reid off the bye week always seems to come out really well prepared, and he's had a ton of time to prepare for Houston. Um, I see them coming out, and like, like you kind of said with Baltimore, Kansas City I think is ready to make a statement in this game. Um, and I, I think they still have a bad taste in their mouth losing at home to a Patriots team that they were probably better than last year. And this is their chance that they don't have to worry about Tom Brady or the Patriots coming to town. They can kind of go out and they don't have to worry about exercising that demon because it has been. And this is their chance to might be Andy Reid's best chance left in his career to go out and make a big statement and win a Super Bowl. Because with, I'm with you. I think they are the best team left in the playoffs. And that includes Baltimore. Uh, after that to round out divisional weekend, it makes me sad even just talking about it. Matt. Yeah. But uh, a matchup between green Bay and <clears throat> Seattle green Bay, um, Currently going off as I believe three and a half point favorites. I lost my tag I got them at four. here. You got them at four. Okay, four. so four point favorites. Um, a lot of people think that you know from what we saw out of Seattle, myself included, that Green Bay. It's not going to be easy for them because of the fact that Russell Wilson will keep his team in the ball game. But again, Aaron Rodgers, Lambeau Field playoffs hasn't really been talked about. If he can get his guys going, and Aaron Jones, Devontae Adams, they're a tough out for anybody. Yeah, I just, I guess this, my feeling on this game says a little bit more how I feel about the Packers than it does about the Seven Seahawks. and one at Lambeau this season. Go ahead. I'm just not, I'm just not terribly inspired by what I've seen from them throughout the year. That uh, They tend to come out and have really good starts and then kind of fade down the stretch. I mean, it seems like those first, you know, two drives that are usually, you know, scripted, they come out mm-hmm. and play really, really well. And once they kind of get into the feel, you know, the, the groove of the game, they don't really stay efficient offensively. And Seattle's really well coached. They have Russell Wilson. I think they're going to be in chances late to score. And I'm not sure Green Bay is going to be able to keep up. Not that Seattle's going to go out and you know drop a ton of points on them because their defense has been pretty good all year. I, I just I don't like what I've seen from Green Bay as a you know second half you know third uh, excuse me second quarter fourth quarter type team when they're not going off the script when they actually have to you know adjust to game plans and, and adjust back to the adjustments Seattle makes. Yeah. Um... It's going to be – I don't think it's going to be the cleanest game. I don't think it's going to no. be the most entertaining game. But Do you have a weather report for 12, 12 is scary. 12 is just scary in these moments. So is three. Uh, I, I do not have – yeah, that's fair. Um, but three doesn't have many weapons right now other than DK Metcalf. He's got a backfield from 2014. But fair enough. I, I digress. Um, I don't have a weather it's, report. It doesn't look, doesn't look too – it's like it says – 29 and sunny so it's not like we're getting crazy cold cold is cold would be my guess that's that's too bad i was hoping for colder uh that is your wild card excuse me your divisional round wrap up divisional round wrap up matt you already gave your lock actually i decided to change it if you could read okay he's changing it did i talk you out of it no stay no 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 you didn't talk me out of that one i talked myself into a new one in the chiefs okay i know it's a lot of points I, the way I was talking about them and the way you were talking about I've, I, I still think Seattle covers that game, but mm-hmm. I can see that game in Kansas City being 
especially with how slow Houston started at home against Buffalo, I can see Kansas City going out and ending that one fairly early. Um, yeah. Similar to like how they did against Oakland at home earlier in this game where you blinked it early this season where you blinked it was 24 to nothing. I think they're going to come out inspired, play fast, and, and, and win this game fairly handedly. So, so I talked you into that one. Is what you're well, we talked my, I talked, we both talked me into that one. And again, this isn't me <laughs> doubting the Seattle pick. I, I still think they cover, and I honestly might throw a few, a few shekels on the money line. Mm-hmm. Um, that might be me betting with my heart, but who knows? But that's why I think that's why I'm moving towards Kansas City here. There's no heart in this one for me. It's just strictly what I see and what I think is going to happen. Whereas the, obviously I want the Packers to lose. I think that might have factored into it. So I'm gonna I'm gonna take the Chiefs, laying a lot of points, but they're at what, home and I like. What do you got them at? Uh, nine and a half. Chiefs laying nine and a half at home. That's Matt's lock of the week. Lock it up. Nine and a half, a favorite covering nine and a half points in you, January. You think I'd have been just burned? I'm just, you I'm, just, I'm just saying, I'm just literally stating the facts of the bet that you're placing as yeah. your lock. Mm-hmm. The Chiefs covering nine and a half points, coached by Andy Reid in January, home favorite. Hey, they, they did that's it against... Got public, that's got public written all over it. They, did it. they did it against the Colts last year. I am taking my lock to the college ranks, and we'll dig into this matchup a little bit off of my lock, Matt. I'm putting some money on Clemson covering, or excuse me, getting five and a half. And the fact that a quarterback and a coach that do nothing but win ball games, that do nothing but go to college football playoffs, are getting five and a half. I can't believe that against LSU. Give me Clemson cover or Clemson getting five and a half on Monday in the national championship. I think it's going to be a really close football game. I don't really have a feel on who ends up winning this one, but I do think it's going to be a close football game nonetheless. Um, to give a little recap here on locks, I am currently sitting at eight, seven, and one with a half game lead on Matt. Who's We're coming eight, down to the stretch. After picking the Saints last week, they lost outright, and I had, as I said, the Houston Texans. They covered on that last minute field goal. So eight, seven, and one against eight and eight. I take a half point lead into this weekend. Matt is taking Kansas City covering nine and a half. I am taking Clemson getting five and a half. Uh, bet it how you may, bet responsibly. Matt, let's talk about the college football playoff a little bit here because it's going to be a blast to watch. It's going to be two high-powered offenses, but Clemson does boast a bit of a defense here. I think that's where they do have the edge in this one. I haven't been very inspired by LSU's defense. Um, They didn't get really much of a test against Oklahoma, so I don't know what to think about that. I think that this line is inflated by that 63-point performance Mm -hmm. by Joe Burrow and that offense. They're going to get a much tougher task against Clemson's defense that knows this, this stage, that knows this moment. Um, that's why I like that line. But I also, uh, you know, if, if, you're feeling, if you're feeling frisky, I'd sprinkle the money line there. A lot of value um, for Clemson. But um, in terms of the matchup, I, I don't know what to expect here. I, I like the under in this one as well. It's 69.5 right now, and I think there's going to be a feeling out process. I don't <laughs> think it's going to be this free-wielding semifinal that we saw um, a, a week and a half ago. I don't know. It's just... It- I, I want to agree with everything you said, and part of me does, but it also seems like at every turn this year, every big game LSU's you know been preparing for, been about to play, people have kind of said this is kind of where they trip up. Even when they were the 14-point favorites against Oklahoma last time out, everyone said, you say, oh, you know, no way, no way they're beating Oklahoma by two touchdowns. Oklahoma's going to score on them, all that stuff. They, Oklahoma... That offense really isn't much of isn't isn't a slouch of an offense, and LSU went out there and kind of dominated them until you know they kind of took the uh, the foot off the gas a little bit. And Oklahoma was able to score. I know Clemson's incredibly talented, and I wouldn't touch the minus five and a half. Um, but I just 
I have trouble doubting LSU again, time and time again, after so many times they kind of mm-hmm. have been this year. Um, and they have that team of destiny feel to them a little bit. Uh, I, 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 I'm like you. I have no idea what to make of this game. I think it's going to be a close one. If it's a shootout, I wouldn't be shocked. If it's like the Ohio State-Clemson game where, like, where you said it's a little bit lower scoring, feeling out process, and it's 24-21, that wouldn't shock me either. I just think we're going to see a hell of a football game on Monday night because these are, for my money, the two best teams in the country by far. Everything that I've heard is that whole team of destiny, and if you're giving me team of destiny versus experience, give me experience 10 times out of 10. Fair. <clears throat> Excuse me. I think that this it's might not come like down. this LSU this team doesn't have big game experience. No, not no. college football playoff experience. It they got some come, big game experience. It might come down to coaching, and it might come down to decisions. And if it's Dabo versus Coach O, as much as I love Coach O, Go give Tigers. me Dabo again, ten times out of ten. Matt, let's jump into some buy or sells here before we say goodbye to the people. Uh, you know, we get long winded when we go NFL, but it's, uh, it's all it's all good times. Um, my first buy or sell was going to be buy or sell Jason Garrett stays in the NFC East and takes the Giants' job. <clears throat> but breaking news here on the Moose and Runes podcast, oh, wow. it appears that the New York Giants are planning to hire former Patriots wide receiver coach Joe Judge <laughs> as their next head coach. Matt, buy or sell, sure. you've heard the name Joe Judge before. Uh, I simply, I've not heard it. I think I read it yesterday on Twitter saying like they interviewed him. Um, that was about the extent of my knowledge of Joe Judge. Um, I can't say he won't be a better hire than Jason Garrett because I don't think Jason yeah. Garrett would have been a good hire, which is just, I can't believe that was a thing that they were actually interested in. Um, but yeah, that's a, a thing, I guess. That's a thing. That's a thing. That's a thing. That's so a you're thing. buying. Uh, no. <laughs> Um, I I will buy that the Giants will be in search of another head coach in about two years. I like it. All right, I'm going to take this to the diamond. Um, I'm actually going to bring back an older question here. I think we've probably talked about this two or three times now, but it seems like the storyline keeps changing. Um, Per a report from friend of the podcast, former guest David Kaplan, uh, the the Cubs asking price for Chris Bryant is, from what executives have told him, astronomical, insane, I think I saw. Uh, we're getting closer and closer to spring training here. No movement on the Cubs front. Granted, the third baseman market hasn't really budged yet after Anthony Rendon, but I'm going to ask you again, buy or sell Chris Bryant is a Cub on opening day. I buy it just because of that fact. And Cap, you know, he, he's in those circles and he knows uh, he, he's never, he's not blowing smoke. He knows what's going on. Um, if, if they can't get anyone to come to the table because the asking price is so high, of course, he's going to be on the team opening day. I think that's all the analysis I have there because, you know, I'm not, close to this situation, nor do I have anything else to, to offer to it. But if they're not being realistic, then they're not going to be able to move them. Yeah, I, I kind of starting to buy it as well. I think they're going to look to explore moving other options. I, I still think the fact that the the grievance issue hasn't been resolved yet, whether or not he's mm-hmm. going to be, I, I mean, I, I think pretty much everybody knows it's, it's almost, it's close to a certainty that he's not going to win that. But the fact that it's taken a little while and that he hasn't yet lost it. It is probably scaring a few teams away because one year of control is a whole lot different than two. Um, But again, if the asking price is that high, I don't think I saw they want Victor Robles and a lot more from the nationals, which is an insane asking price for what Chris Bryant is. And people aren't going to pay for what he was. He's not the same guy he was when he won the FAP. He just hasn't been. Um, I don't think anyone's going to meet that. And I, I think you're looking at a largely the same roster coming back next year for the Cubs, which I would I would say, and I think a lot of Cubs fans would say would be pretty close to a disaster of an offseason. Um, yeah, disaster is a strong word, but we use strong words here on the Motion News Podcast. We do. Um, so it, it has been less than inspiring. I think, I think we leave it at that. Matt, 
XFL football on tap. Can't wait. I think it kicks off what like the day after the Super Bowl or something. It's like, like it's, it's either like, the day or the week after the Super Bowl. Something like that. it's coming up very quickly. Um, camps are open. I've seen some pictures of guys uh, that um, you know have made rosters that are out there. Um, but Matt Car- Byersell, Cardale Jones is in the XFL. Really excited to watch Bi- him. Twelve games. the XFL lasts two full seasons. Man, that's tough. I think there's enough um, money behind it to get it through one. Yeah. Unlike the AAF, but um, buy or sell two seasons. I'm going to buy it because I think they're doing enough to separate themselves from the NFL mm-hmm. that people might actually be kind of interested. I'm not going to go through all of the rule changes, not rule changes, but you know, different type of rules. I think they're going through enough to try and make it different enough, make it a little bit more exciting, make it a little bit more fan-friendly, TV-friendly, all that kind of stuff. Plus, like you said, with all the money they have behind it, Vince McMahon is not not short on cash, and I don't think he is going. I think he has the ego where he's not going. He's really going to not want this to fail again after one season. Um, so I, I think I will buy that it lasts more than two, just for a the rule change, the, the different fun, exciting rules, and the guy who's backing it. Yeah, I, I think so. Um, Maybe that's just might, the optimist in me who wants. I think more it might football. hit the skids in that second season. Possible. But, uh, yeah, the, I think I'd I think the, I'd sell this just just out of the track record of leagues other than the NFL trying to launch in the last I don't know since the what was the one that Trump did the American, American the, the, uh, no it wasn't the American Football Alliance of American it was the football. AFL that was, it was, it was AFL. the AFL American Football whatever it was they fail it's what they do there's there's always a market for football but I think off seasons are important and trying to slide a league into the off season with non-name brand players kind of propped up by gimmicks usually doesn't work for too long I'm selling two seasons I mean I'm telling you the, the I think the guys starting these leagues are going to have too much of an ego to do it but I think the one way to kind of get this to at least succeed a little bit is to make it somewhat of a minor league farm system type yeah. deal for NFLs to have a NFL affiliation I know you don't want to and maybe there's too much you know, financially that they don't want to sacrifice in order to make that happen. But I think that's the best way to do that is to have tie-ins with the NFL. But it doesn't appear that that's going to happen. Hit me. Um, I'm also, this is a throwback theme for me, Joe, because I'm going to bring back something we talked about before the NBA season. You talked about the 76ers. Uh, You loved their over-under win total, the over of the 54.5 win total. Uh, yeah. they're, they're coming off, like you said, they just snapped a four-game losing skid. Joel Embiid banged up the finger, but he's going to keep playing. They haven't quite lived up to the hype this year at 24-14. and 14. Um, So I'm going to ask you again. I'm going to give you a chance to take it out. You're going to buy or sell the over 54 and a half so you're, the Philadelphia So you're offering, you're offering to pay my loss if I, if I sell Absolutely right not. To, just okay. to me personally. <laughs> um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to continue to buy. I love um, it. They have love the your call. 24th ranked schedule remaining so i mean only six teams with easier schedules than the sixers coming down the stretch they have done nothing to really make me feel good about the wager um Mm -hmm. they are i believe two and a half to three games roughly uh behind pace right now but with that schedule i think they are able to eat this out still um they were ahead of pace until going on that four game skid last week it's a team that really loses focus really easily. Um, they're so much more talented than the way they're performing, so I'm still hoping. This is, again, straight from the heart because the wager's already been made. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm I love that decision by you, by the way. Hoping that they can play up to their potential uh, over the second half of the season. You have to go with your heart on this one. I, Come on I, I love the way you're sticking with it. That's Matt, um, I got a bonus for you here. It's oh. not a buy or sell, but I want to 
uh, assign the Blackhawks as a buyer or okay. a seller. Six points out of the playoffs right now, just past the halfway point of the NHL season. Are the Blackhawks buyers or sellers as we approach the deadline? The only way I am buying, I'm saying they should be buyers, is if they can take on somebody's money for you know a bad contract for the rest of the year that somebody mm-hmm. else doesn't want to pay, and because they do that, they get a draft pick or whatever. Um, in return with with Seabrook and Dehan being on LTIR for the year, that freed up about eleven million in cap space. So they can take on some bad money just till the end of the season and earn a prospect or a pick that they like in return. Go for it. Otherwise, you're either standing pat or you're selling. Um, I, I don't see the point in. They don't have a lot of depth in their farm system. They have a couple bigger names that they really like, but outside of those, you know, couple big names, there's not many, you know, B level type prospects that will net you much in return. There's really no point in you know breaking the bank for this team that's not a cup contender. Um, either hold or try and recoup some picks is my so don't buy, just don't buy. That's Matt's hockey. Forty eight seconds. Sure, I think that was. So you, I, you want me to talk about Patrick Kane for twelve seconds? <laughs> no, okay. no, I really don't. He's still really good. Gotcha. Yeah, really good. Maybe the best. He's a top fifteen player from the last decade. The other day, I was I was standing amongst these East Coasters for Patrick Kane being the greatest American of all time and. His numbers are great, but they don't really stack up long term against the likes of Madano. Um, the thing with Kane is, uh, Kane has always been a very, very. I mean, the Patrick Kane of you know the first, honestly, the Cup runs. He was always great. He was very, very yeah. good. He was as clutch of a guy as there was, but he never really put up the electric numbers that you know. You've seen a lot of the higher totals until about 2016 when he won that Hart Trophy. I think, honestly, it's because he sensed he needed to start carrying the team a little bit more. You look at his numbers the last three years, he's been absolutely unbelievable. He's turned in from a very, very good player to the best right winger and probably the second best winger outside of Alex Ovechkin in hockey. Mm -hmm. Um, And, I mean, while the numbers don't quite stack up to the guys of, of Madano that ilk, they also played in a different era where it was a little bit easier to score at times. I think goalies are a That's lot fair. better now. They're yeah. wearing a little bit bigger equipment. Um, granted, it was a little bit tougher a game back then, but uh, I still think Patrick Kane is right up there. And I mean, he has the most points out of anybody in the decade, including Sidney Crosby and Alex Ovechkin, which is I think says something. Facts, facts only. He's the best American of all time, and I don't think Matt it's close. Rooney knows two things: facts and facts only. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Uh, I, I also people matter. I, I have. Uh, I, I wanted to ask. You got a about, bonus? I wanted to ask about Mike McCarthy in Dallas. I want to because that's a, that seems to be an it's gross. It, it's gross. It's a pajama party. It's so exactly. It's it's Jason Garrett with worse cholesterol. It's everything Mike that McCarthy the Cowboys deserve. Yeah, okay, great. Um, I, I think that he is the perfect um, pushover whipping boy for Jerry Jones to control for the next five to ten years. See, Mike um, McCarthy doesn't there, – there's a lot of things he screams at me, but pushover and whipping boy does not – You didn't see Aaron Rodgers break his will and get him run out of Green Bay, a place where he did win a Super Bowl? I think he got run out of Green Bay because he didn't want to bend to Aaron Rodgers. Uh, I don't know. He um, didn't bend to I, me. I, 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 well, okay, there's a difference between Aaron Rodgers and the guy who essentially runs the National Football League. So we'll see how it works out in Big D. I think that he was brought in specifically. And if you look at the timeline of events, the whole like mm-hmm. shuffling of feet with Garrett, and they knew he was 
they knew he was gone. He leveraged Cowboys fans in the media and then less than 24 hours later was signing a contract with Mike McCarthy. This is all Jerry and Steven's plan. They control everything. If Mike McCarthy, you're going to see it this offseason. There's going to be a disagreement in the draft room and it's going to start off on a rocky note because Mike McCarthy is going to be given no agency with his draft board. Um, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to be all the same beats of every other tenure. And I know we've seen 10 years of Jason Garrett and don't really have a lot of a sample size prior to that, but Jerry Jones wants himself a Super Bowl, and Jerry Jones thinks highly of himself, and Jerry Jones is going to do what Jerry Jones wants to do, and if Mike McCarthy doesn't get in line with that, Mike McCarthy will be looking for a job in, in shorter time than the term of his contract. I don't know. I, just, I think they went out and got a guy who has a history of a pretty good football coach who's had success. I mean, he, obviously, the only place he's been was Green Bay, but he had a whole lot of success there, obviously, in a weaker division, but the NFC East isn't exactly the strongest division, and I don't necessary i don't know who was out there i don't know what names were interested but if you didn't want to take a risk on urban meyer because urban meyer a lot of urban meyer's success in college has been built on his ability to recruit and get people to come play for him not necessarily always his you know game planning and in-game coaching decisions. yeah i didn't like that either i, 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 I don't you know, know who I, was out there i don't know who was interested but if you want if you you say you went out there and you wanted to get a proven name a guy who's won before I don't think Mike McCarthy is the worst hire. Uh, Skip Bayless. It's not, I think, oh, no. It's granted, by no, was, means, I think it's by no the, means the worst hire. I think it's Skip no Bayless the was the voice hire. of reason, which is odd for me to say. But I was watching that whatever show they're on in the morning with Shannon Sharp yesterday. He says, like, I'm not excited about it, but I don't hate it. Like, it's fine. If the Cowboys like, that's where wanted, I'm at. It's fine. If the Cowboys wanted a level-headed, proven leader, they needed to fire Jason Garrett two and a half weeks before they did and hire Ron Rivera. Fair. That was the answer. That was that, the answer. Instead, uh, agree instead we have to watch Ron Rivera answer to another owner, one who's more power-hungry and further inept. Um, I would never call Jerry Jones inept, but um, that can be said about Dan Snyder. So I, I don't think that's going to work. I don't think that – I don't think that Washington's Those two are going to butt heads where, very I don't think quickly. that Washington's a place where anyone can win right now. So no. it's a shame that the best coaching candidate went to the worst possible job. I mean, one and one A being Cleveland. So yeah, I'm, I'm kind of shocked he took that one as quickly as he did before waiting and seeing. Unless he just money, knew. money talks. That's a fair point. BS walks, Matt, and this is me walking out of this podcast. You want to talk about it. the Bachelor? No, that's going to do it for Moose Moon's 136. I did not watch, so I don't want to talk from I'm not a, a, fan. Of, a lack of knowledge. So uh, let me let me get into some game film, and we can talk Bachelor on uh, okay. episode 137. We'll have but a, a, we'll a Bachelor recap for, from you next week. That's going to do it for episode 136 of the Moose and Runes podcast. For Matt, I'm Joe, carrying a half-point lead into our lock of the weeks, coming down the stretch with just three more weeks to play. Yeah, we got this. Are we, are we, we're going to play the bye week, right? So four more weeks. We're going to find something to play. Find, during, okay. I like we're that. Find, find something an NBA to play. game, something, We're going to find something to play off the board, uh, NFL or NCAA, okay. um, in the Make dead week between the wild card weekend. And, and it could be a make-or-break pick, so... Cherish uh, football, guys, as long as you can. Keep it locked here it's on the Moose Moons podcast. Thank you, as always. That's going to do it for episode 136 for Matt. I'm Joe. Be good. May God give you for every storm a rainbow, for every tear a smile, for every care a promise, and a blessing in each trial. I swear I've seen a lot of stuff in my life, but that was awesome. <laughs> Chicken on the steak was phenomenal. <laughs>